The word of the Lord that engages us this morning is the Old Testament reading from Isaiah chapter 43, Isaiah 43, the first six verses. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Sheba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather them from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and I made. The word of the Lord. One of the coolest things about being at a church for a long, long time is the ability to know people richly and deeply. And it was about 26 years ago this month that my wife and I sent you guys a letter and said, we're coming. I had uh, been called on a a late night. We thought for sure that there was no way in God's green earth that you were going to call Tim and Barb from uh, Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Uh, We thought for sure you'd leave us to freeze and be isolated and die in the great tundra of northern Wisconsin. And finally, at about 1130 at night, Pastor Esch, who was the senior pastor at that point, called. And I was a lot younger then, a little bit more rambunctious and, you know, Pastor Esch said, you know, the oddest thing in the whole world just happened tonight. We called you to be our pastor. And as I got to know Pastor Norb over the years, it was just so funny that, yeah. He said the Spirit of God worked through your old principal, Mr. Bredehoft, and the whole assembly decided that you were our guy, in spite of the other guy who was better looking, better experienced, had done bigger things, but God wants you here at St. John. And so, 26 years this March, my wife and I and my family, we've been here. We came with one little guy who could barely walk. I've got two kids who are successful and trained and loved and followed Jesus deeply. And I've grown older and wiser and grayer and fatter and skinnier and all of those, those things. But... People laugh when a pastor's been at a church for so long. They say, Pastor, you know where all the bodies are buried. And when pastors talk about that, we don't laugh because we've buried a lot of bodies in 20 years. I knew when I read from Isaiah 43 last week that I know where one of those bodies is buried to whom this verse is etched on a tombstone out at our cemetery off Fairhaven in Tustin Street. And I walk into that part of the cemetery. I can walk right to the gravestone. And there in big words is that first piece of Isaiah 43. This is what the Lord says, who cre- he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. 
you are mine. And that scripture takes on a powerful meaning as it's tattooed on all three of my friend's children. When I put this message together, I thought about that time, how much they loved their dad and what a good father he was to them in so many regards. But he got in trouble being dishonest. He got in trouble with shame. And in that dishonesty and in that shame, he could not step forward and say, I sinned, I did it. So he took his 5 Series Beamer off the 241 toll road, which was pretty much new at the time. He drove it down an embankment, and there he took his life. Days before, I'd assured his wife that he would show up, that he had just been to Vegas, and he was trying to earn back some money, and, and he was gone. And he left his children and his dear wife to reckon his life and his deeds, and even more tragically, to reckon his death at a young age with three young children and to try to figure out what it's like when the waters rise and the waves go against you, when the, when the fire and the flame are licking right at your soul and what do you do and how does it work and upon what do you stand? And, and when I preached this text this morning, I could close my eyes and go right back to that family. I could go right back to the living room. I could go right back to my office. I could go right back to the cemetery. I could go back right back to flag football games at St. John's, of cruising the, the hallways at Orange Lutheran, of, of loving and caring for those kids in partnership. And, and that scripture, do not be afraid for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. We speak words of baptism today at every hymn and every reading. We speak words of God's conviction of his love for his people, of his exchange for his life for ours, and, and, and God's love in the, in the lives of all his people, and God's good work in our lives. That's what gathers us together today. You are convicted and convinced of something greater and grander than life and death, and that's what brought you here today. You are chosen. You are loved. You are formed in the image of God. You weren't just kind of summoned out of primordial ooze. There is direction and purpose and meaning in your life. Because you are baptized into Christ. You are loved. The greatest needs of humanity is to be loved. To open our hearts to another person and have them accept us unconditionally. But that love is more than a feeling. If that's the case, if love is just merely a feeling, then we're in and out of love pretty much constantly. But to be connected in a warm, giving, open, vulnerable relationship with another person that lasts a long, long time. Love that is formed on conviction, not on convenience. That's what Isaiah is talking about here in Isaiah 43 when he says, you are loved and precious in the sight of of the Lord because there's got to be something bigger than feelings because boy there are some days where I don't feel like loving some people there are days where I look at that person and I say man I love you but I don't like you today and the only reason why I love you is because God told me to and I'm convicted that what God told me to do in loving you is the absolutely right thing to do as much as I want to put my fingers around your neck or give you detention Love rooted in feelings means sometimes it's really, really hard to love 
people and to walk away from a relationship when we don't feel happy or enthralled with the person when it's hard and we step back instead of stepping up because it just doesn't feel like love anymore I fell out of love with the person pastor how many times in 26 years have I heard that and every time I say something to the extent of love is more than a feeling the inverse of that is true as well there's times where I don't feel particularly lovable. Before my surgery, I struggled emotionally. And one of the things that drove me to have that surgery was my own kind of moving downward into a depressive state. And for me as a Klinkenberg, my depression was put outward towards kind of angry behaviors and angry uh, conversations. So I'd sit on my couch after I got home from work, eat like a horse, bark at my family, and deal with my own bad feelings about myself and other people. And when I looked deep inside at old Pastor Tim's soul, I had to say, I don't feel very lovable. As a matter of fact, I'm hard to love right now. But the greatest cheerleaders for me in my weight loss and my surgery and my recovery were those who had victimized the most, my wife and my children, who loved me because they were convinced, convinced that it was the right thing to do and the right way to behold their husband and their dad. See, love is more than a feeling. And if you came today with someone who's hard to love, and maybe that person even sitting next to you this morning, Maybe you're that person sitting next to that person saying, I don't feel particularly lovable. But take it one step deeper. Isaiah is talking about the love of God. Go one step deeper. For God's love is more than a feeling. God's love is, is movement and conviction and action. I'm pretty sure God doesn't send regular emails because if he does, I've missed the email string. I don't get a joyful emoji singing a time in a bottle. I just don't get it. Thank you for those of us who are over 50 for knowing the time in a bottle piece. It was probably sung at your wedding, maybe. It just doesn't work that way. God's love is more than a hallmark moment. God's love is that point by which we are identified. And if you don't feel loved and you don't feel lovable, God's love is more than your feelings. God's love is his conviction. God's love is his character. God's love is his behavior that, that wraps you up and reminds you and delivers to you identity and love and courage and peace. It's more than a feeling. For me in my life, I've let God down and I know that. How many times have I confessed my sins? Thousands and thousands, thousands. And then I go right back to that pet sin. And yet God loves me, reaching down in love with love to the disobedient. When I don't feel very lovable, I'm still loved. And so the words of this text are powerful this morning for each one of us as they were for that family 10 years ago who laid to rest their dad in a broken state. And the mere mention of this text, this, this scripture brings tears and emotions because it's so real and so heartfelt and so cutting. God's love is more than a feeling. It's a conviction of God towards you and me. He doesn't and wouldn't send an email Rather, he sent his son who has redeemed us, who calls us by name, and who through in a relationship with him, we find our identity. You are the beloved of God. 
First and foremost, primarily, you are the beloved of God. Now, how can I say that with conviction? Because I know God. Because God, in the conviction of his love for you, sent a Messiah named Jesus. And in Jesus, God did all of those things that Isaiah has written. He called us by name. He redeemed us. He paid our ransom. We do not belong to sin or self. We belong to the Savior, Jesus Christ. First and best, we are God's. You are beloved of God. Because the lovable and the unlovable unlovable are called close to Jesus. His blood paid our ransom. We belong to Him. And the richness of those words created, formed, redeemed, summoned. You are mine. You are precious, honored in my sight. And I love you, says the Lord. One step farther. Love is not a feeling, it's a conviction. When the waters rise, when the rivers roar, when the flames are hot, 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 when, when you bury your father as a 14-year-old boy, when you gather your young, at your young brother's graveside, when you go back not to a feeling but to an event, we go back to our baptism, we, we go back where I am convinced that why I'm convinced that those words tattooed on those three beautiful young people are valuable is because their father was baptized into Christ. He was unlovable, but he was loved by God. He was a sinner broken by his own sin who is redeemed of Jesus, baptized into Christ. And I'm convinced that my friend is with Jesus because Jesus promised, because Jesus went to the cross and delivered love and sealed it and delivered it in my friend's baptism. And I'm convinced that neither life or death or principality will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that promise, that covenant of water in the Spirit moves you and me through the flames, the fire, the water, through life and death. You are loved, you are precious, you are honored in the sight of God. You are God's people, holy, chosen, and dearly loved. You have been called by name in your baptism. Baptism is that marvelous conviction that the promises of God are true for me. One more little story. And I got stuck this week in Tampa. I don't know if you've ever been stuck in Tampa, but it's okay, it's all right. They call it the beach, but it's not the beach. It's kind of like a big tepid gulf. It's like, there's no mountains. You never know where you're navigating. There's alligators, but you want to see one, but you never see one. And then my friend's golfing, and he takes a picture. Look at that alligator. I'm like, what do you live there for? Why don't they just fence off the whole state? And kind of. <laughs> but my old college roommate lives in a kind of a horse town called Ocala. It's a farming community north of Tampa, about 100 miles. And I, I met my friend Eric when we played football together at Concordia in St. Paul. He had gone to Lutheran High in uh, Clearwater, Florida, and I had gone to Lutheran High in Orange. And... And so through a mutual coach, we'd been recruited to to play football together. And to our chagrin, the coach left before we got there, leaving it a miserable, miserable experience. But we had each other. He was from Florida and I was from California. He had Ron John surfwear. I had stuff from Balboa 34th Street stuff. And we'd have people who would steal our jeans out of the laundry at Concordia. And I'd I'd look at the guy and say, those jeans don't fit you. They go, yeah, they're mine, Clank. And I'd go, dude, those are 501 Levi's. 
You don't have those here. They, they only sell those in California. You can't have my 501s. Oh, yeah, I couldn't get the buttons on the fly anyway. I'm like, hey, give me my jeans back, you loser. You know, come on. Those came from Shipley's in Anaheim up Euclid and, you know, I, come on. So I would load those up and give them to people who I loved. What? Eric and I were very, very close. We shared a gregarious nature and outgoing personality. Shared kind of a isolation that people who move from the coast to the Midwest share. And, and over that two years, maybe two and a half, we became very, very good friends. And I hadn't seen him in over 30 years. And I reached out to him this Wednesday afternoon after I was done with my meetings and said, hey, uh, let's hang out. He goes, you know, I can hear it in his voice. Dude, where are you? Dude, I'm in Tampa. So I got in the car and drove up to, Tampa, drove up to Ocala. 94 miles took hour and 15, 20 minutes. And we got there, drove up to his house, spent some time together telling stories, regaling one another and how great we are. I was a football player. He was a great football player. Recruited by the University of Florida because of his heart. Finally, the coach at University of Florida had to set him aside and said, Eric, you're just too small. You can't play at this level. But I wish I had every person had your heart and your soul because you are the toughest, most resilient young man. I'd love to have you play, but you, you, you can't. So Eric came up to St. Paul and tore it up. He gave me the nickel tour of his house. He goes, Clink, here's the nickel tour of my house. And we, here's my room and the girls where they live. And, and we walked by a door that was closed with stickers all on it and then back into the living room. And I had my obligatory uh, orange juices, which I drink these days. And he had a cold one and we started talking. And I said, tell me about that door, knowing full well what had happened about a year ago. And this big tough guy had tears in his face. He said, that's Elliot's room. And I said, tell me about that a little bit. Elliot was his 13-year-old son who had passed away at the end of March last year. His daughter came home and found him dead. Eric had to perform CPR on his son. He said, Clink, let's go in the backyard. He said, all right, E.T., let's go. He began to just break down. Tears, sadness, emptiness, fear. Whenever a family goes through something like that, what could have I done? What could have I done better? What about me? How does it work? And through just some weird accident, this family was left without their boy. And perhaps that was the most painful comment. Clink, it's my boy. It's my boy. And yet underneath that story was something that was convicting. Stronger, grander, more profound than the grief was his hope. Now the hope shined through tears to be sure. But it was hope nonetheless. For Elliot, his boy had been baptized into Christ. And Eric pulled that pulled that ace out of his sleeve and with conviction he shared that his son whom he loved he would see him again with the Lord Jesus in heaven for Elliot had been called 
by the name of the Lord. You see, the love and conviction of God towards you and me, his great love is the, the, the anchoring and the rooting power in our lives. And it's the power of peace and courage at death. See, Isaiah is not speaking in figments of imagination here. He's, he's speaking in real life stuff. The love of Jesus for you and me, for my friend, for Elliot, for all those who sit and who, in whose mind streams back the pictures of those whom they've lost. Three young people with Isaiah 43.1 tattooed on their body. That is not about feeling. That's about conviction. Because feelings ebb and flow, but conviction and love stand strong through fire and flame, through river and flood. God's love for you is the conviction with which he sends Jesus as our ransom and brings us with him through life and through death. These words are not etched on my tombstone, nor will they be. But I can't read these words without thinking of real people. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are Amen.